Nobody gets all of the questions right. You can still get an 800, the highest score, and not get all the questions right. Welcome to NBA Pod TV. I'm your host, Mia Saini. Now, if you're applying to business school, it's probably inevitable that you have to take the GMAT. No one enjoys studying for standardized tests. So on today's show, we share with you how to study and tackle the GMAT and have fun at the same time. Joining me is Chris Ryan, Director of Product and Instructor Development for Manhattan GMAT, a GMAT prep company. Chris got a 790 on the GMAT. He's got a lot to say on how you can prepare. You'll also hear from the Graduate Management Admission Council, or GMAC, the company that makes the GMAT. And you'll also hear from admission directors from several schools that will let you in on how they view your score. One common question I get from students is, I got a 450 or I got a 500 on my first practice test. Do you see people go up from there a lot? What's the average increase from your first practice test? And the answer is, you can increase a lot from your first practice test. Do not look at that as at all predictive of what you can do. It rather just indicates where you are right then and not even that accurately, especially because you probably don't know how to do an adaptive test at that point, so you ran out of time. You don't know how to do data sufficiency yet, so you were figuring it out as you went along. Don't take it very much to heart. The reason to take a practice test early on is to feel what it feels like to get through an entire adaptive test in one sitting. And you should do that relatively soon, as soon as you can, especially if you've got a relatively short time frame. You should take your first practice test relatively soon, but don't take that score to heart. Figure out what you did wrong on particular questions, that's fine, but don't worry about the score, and you can improve tons off of that. I know a lot of students come in and are really, really feeling a lot of pressure about the GMA, thinking like that is the only thing that really matters, whereas it really is just a foot in the door. And I know that I, I've definitely dealt with students who have been talking to schools who have said, we really like your application, we just need your GMAT score a little higher. And like they'll actually work with you and say, actually, can we just get your math section up a little more than that? And um, yeah, so it's not like a be all end all. The score is, is the only thing that matters. As for when do your scores start to level out? What kind of progress will you make up until that point? And when do you know you've sort of hit your limit? That's going to very much vary by person and depend on you. One thing that we find is that the average of, say, your last three practice tests might give you a, a rough indication of where you would be if you took the GMAT right now. It's a computer adaptive test, so what that means is that a candidate is given their first question in the quantitative and verbal area, pitched at about the average intelligence. So the average person gets that question right. When it's pitched to you, if you get the question right, then you're given a slightly more difficult question. If you get it wrong, you're given a slightly easier question. And depending on how you do, the algorithm around the test sort of moves around to find kind of a sense of where your intelligence really lies. So it's not an overall answer a hundred questions and see how you do. It's kind of moving toward more difficult or easier and really honing in on what your uh, intelligence is. One thing I'd like to point out about your preparation is that you should make sure that you do a few representative problems from every area but make sure that you really review them. Often people, when they're doing, say, official guide problems or problems from any other source, 
go for breadth over depth. Oh, I'm going to download these thousand problems from here and these 10,000 problems from there and I'm going to run through them all and if I see every single look of a combinatorics or probability problem, there's no way the GMAT can surprise me. That is bad. Do not do this. You can master combinatorics and probability or any other topic through a few well-chosen representative problems, but what you have to do is really master them. And that requires not just doing them once and checking the answer and saying, yeah, okay, it's C, I see why. Oh, I got it wrong. Oh, that's why. Make sure that you really review it. And that means often putting pen to paper again, asking yourself, do I understand the concepts? Do I understand how to recognize this type of problem? Do I understand how to execute plan A? What would plan B be on this problem? What would be a guessing strategy on this problem? Where are the traps? Where are the tricks? All these things you should master about those well-chosen problems because that's how you learn to generalize so you can see something. Because you know what? The GMAT has these mad scientists cooking up problems you've never seen before. And you're going to see stuff on the GMAT you haven't seen before. There are going to be new looks to the defense. So you have to be very well grounded in the real techniques and the real skills and be able to generalize them. And the way to do that is by really reviewing well-chosen representative problems. Now, most schools publish their average GMAT score and the middle 80% range. That means you should aim to score at about the average of the school you're applying to. Scoring below it doesn't mean your chances are shot, and scoring above it doesn't mean a guaranteed admit. But being within at least the 80% range is a good guideline. Here's what several admissions reps had to say about the GMAT. We always tell people if you take the GMAT once and you're not happy with your initial score, don't be shy about taking it again. It's not going to affect you, at least in our case, negatively in the admissions process. We're always going to look at the highest score. Now, we've seen people in the past before, there was a limit as far as how many times you could take the GMAT. We've seen like 10 GMATs, and don't really recommend that. Um, it's, it's a big investment of your time and your money, too. Um, but if you want to take it two or three times, um, that's typically what we might see if people retake the GMAT. That just shows us that you are really committed to going to an MBA program. We have a range of around 600 to 800. The average is about 697. Now, a school like ours, for example, London Business School, we have a holistic application process. So while GMAT is an important factor of the process, it's not the only element that we look at. So I would stress that while um, taking the GMAT one or two times to make it better score, um, the essays, the references, other elements of the application are really equally as important. So it's important not to only focus on the GMAT. GMAT score is probably one of the most important metrics that we use, but again, it's just one metric out of several. So we also look at everything on the application, which includes the actual application, the essays, the letters of recommendation, and the GPA score. From our point of view, I think that the GMAT is really considered in the context of your whole application. So yes, there are, you know, we, we have the GMAT scores out there, and yes, that there are, you know, what we say is that if we see percentage levels in the quantitative verbal below 80%, that's not a cutoff, it's not a guideline, it's not a, you know, bin, it's just something that, will, you know, will cause us to look more at other parts of your application to see, you know, your other strengths. But really, no one piece of the application can make or break it. The GMAT is an important piece of the application puzzle, but as you've heard, it's only one piece. 
I decided to take the GMAT straight out of undergrad because I knew I wanted to go to business school. Whether you have a year or just a few months, your commitment to studying will be the most important part to improving your score. Nobody gets all of the questions right. You can still get an 800, the highest score, and not get all the questions right. Most candidates realize it's an adaptive test, so they come prepared thinking, oh, I, I hope I get a harder question because that means I've gotten the last one right. But the truth is, every once in a while, we put these questions in that we, we call them pretest questions, so they don't count. The candidate doesn't get scored. You find them in every standardized test, essentially. And so that can fool a candidate into uh, deflating their confidence because they thought they were doing really well because the questions were hard, then all of a sudden they get something that seems a bit easier and they're thrown. But don't be deterred. So what should you do the day before, the night before, and the day of the exam? Well, the day before and the night before, you should take care of the rest of your life. You should make sure that you're happy in your relationships if you can be, whatever it is, because Anything else that's a source of stress, you should make sure is as least a source of stress as possible. Also, you should get enough sleep. That is fundamentally the most important thing you can do the night before. Now, the day before and even the day of, you could run a problem or two to keep yourself limber, but don't try to learn anything new. Just know what you know. Run back over problems that you know. Make sure that you're, you're quick. Get to the testing center early. Don't try to leave it for the last minute. Take deep breaths while you're in there. Take your breaks and make sure that you are breathing while you're taking the exam. And most importantly, remember that the schools only look at your best score. So do your best, but if it is completely spiraling downward, well, make sure that you say yes and get your score, but it doesn't really matter. So just do your best and let the chips fall where they may. Well, that's a wrap for this edition of NBA Pod TV. I'm your host, Mia Saini. Visit us at nbapodcaster.com to download the latest audio and video shows. And of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get the latest news and insight into your NBA application process.